different sheepfold. The first one, it's in town. It's a community sheepfold where there are different types of sheep from different owners. <coughs> it is guarded by a doorkeeper. The sheepfold that he's going to talk about today, it's not in town. It's outside of town. It's on the hillside, uh, close to places where there is green pasture. It is not guarded by a doorkeeper, but it's guarded by the shepherd himself. Because in that sheepfold, there's only one flock, the flock of that one shepherd. Okay, so it's important for us to, to make this distinction so we can understand the rest of uh, uh, the chapter. The first one depicts the dead religion of Israel. The religion in which people think that because, they're, because of their good moral uh, uh, behavior or their good religious behavior, God owes them eternal joy. Because they have behaved well, they have followed the rules, now God is indebted to them. The second sheepfold illustrates, pictures, the true church of God. Those who have been, in fact, transformed by God Himself. Those who have been brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Those who have come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Not only churchgoers, for the first, the first sheepfold is full of churchgoers that do not know the shepherd. So if you have your text ready to go, we're going to do chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. Listen to the word of God. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know, know me. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh, the glory of these words you have spoken. 
Today again, I pray that these wouldn't be only words on a page, black marks on a white paper, but they would be prophetic words to our hearts, straight from your lips, Lord. Let us behold your glory in this figure of speech, where you show yourself to be our shepherd and how safe we are under your care. Oh, how much we need to be shepherded by you. I pray that today, once again, you reveal yourself to our hearts and that we would know you, not merely know about you, but that we would know you deeply, even as the Father knows the Son. I pray that we would behold your glory. As you are glorified in our midst today, we would rejoice and worship you and be transformed by you and be renewed, have our minds renewed by your word. That's what I pray for your glory and our joy in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, as we start, I want to give you just a few subheadings so you know where we are going. We're going to see, we're going to talk about death because the Lord Jesus Christ said more than one time that he lays his life for the sheep. We're going to see, in the first verses we see, from verse 7 through 10, we'll see that his life, his death, is a saving death. Then we're going to move on and we're going to see that his death is a substitution. He died for us. He did not die for his own sins, for he had none. But he died for us as a substitution. In verses 14 and 15, we see how specific this death is. He did not die for, for just a blob of anonymous humanity. But He died for the sheep. And finally, in verses 16 through 18, if time allows, we'll see that His death was a sovereign death. It wasn't like a tsunami, a huge wave that came upon the beach and swept him away. And he was a victim of circumstances, but he was in charge of everything that happened. He gave his life. No one took his life from him, for no one had that power. But he and he alone had the power to give his life and to take it up again. Let's start looking at verse 7, when Jesus once again so Jesus again said to them, now we should pause and remember, just remind ourselves who the them is. That points back to the last chapter, to verse 40, when they started talking. Where the Pharisees are talking to him, they hear what he is saying and they have a question. And they ask him, are you saying we are blind too? So Jesus starts chapter 10 saying truly, truly, which never introduces a new thought, but it gives emphasis to what he is about to say. And he paints a picture to them and shows them, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones that claim to be in that position of shepherding the people of Israel, the ones who claim to follow the law better and deeper than anybody else in the land. Jesus looks them square in the eye and calls them false shepherds. We're left on verse 6 with the fact that they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus comes up once again and He says, Truly, truly, again, just adding emphasis to what He is going to say. His conversation is still going with the Pharisees. 
And he does not disappoint. He starts saying, I am the door of the sheep. Now, like I said, if we understand what kind of sheepfold this is, we will see just like they would. They understand. They have this picture in their mind because they're familiar with the profession of a shepherd. The land was very difficult to, to do farming or other activities. Very hot, very rocky, very dry. So shepherding was very popular. There was a lot of shepherds all around. So they would know that picture. They would know very well when he says, I am the door, the picture comes to their mind. This is the background. Because in this sheepfold that he's referring to now, it's not in town, like I said, it's not a community sheepfold. But the pastor would come in the morning to the community sheepfold and call his own sheep. Not all the sheep, just his own sheep by name. And his sheep would know his voice and follow him. Then he would take his sheep, his flock, out to the countryside looking for green pastures. It would be early in the morning, maybe even dark, so they could get to a pasture west where the grass would still be wet from the dew, so the sheep would be hydrated and well taken care of. When he arrived there and the sheep were, was fed, the sheep were fed and well taken care of, like I said, he would build a sheepfold with rocks, just piled up rocks, all around. And he would leave just a small opening. Not a huge opening, not a tall opening, just a small opening. In that opening, he would put all of the sheep inside. And now, the shepherd himself would lay across that opening right there. And the shepherd would literally become the door of that sheepfold. No wolf comes in without passing through the shepherd. No sheep will wander around and leave and go astray without going through that shepherd. And the shepherd loves his sheep. The shepherd loves the sheep. Good luck trying to get past him, either in or out. He will not leave when the wolf appears, as we will see the false shepherds do. So he protects his sheep, and he will say, actually, he just said, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Many have come saying that they were the Messiah. Many have come claiming they were from God, but the true sheep felt, heard the voice of a stranger, and they did not follow him. Now, the way the text is, is, is built in, in, in this portion of Scripture, I do think there's, there is a, a space, there's room to allow that all who came before me doesn't only mean, it primarily means people that claim to be of God, that claim to be the Messiah, that claim to be the new shepherd of Israel, true shepherds. But it really, it, there's room for us to allow that any doctrine, any teachings, any heresies, stories that have spread around. So anything that came before me are thieves and robbers, are from thieves and from robbers. They're not true. This is why the sheep did not listen to their voice. Jesus here does not leave any room for comparative religion. Jesus once again claims 
to be the only Savior. The only way to God. The only way to belong to the people of God is through the door. Through the shepherd himself you get to that sheepfold. No one else brings you there. No other doctrine. No competing views contradicting the message of Jesus Christ will lead, in spite of sincerity, will lead people to heaven. No competing view leads people to God. Jesus Himself is the door. There's only one way. There are several ways. It's not one of the doors. It's not one of the ways. Elsewhere, the Bible will say there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus Himself says, I am the way, not one of them. I am the life. I am the truth and I am the life. Not many truths, not many lives. Outside of Jesus, there is no spiritual, true, eternal life. Outside of the truth of Jesus, there is no other truth. Outside of Jesus, there is no other way. My prayer for you today is that you grasp not only with your mind, but with your heart, the gravity of Jesus' statement. We cannot afford to miss this one. We cannot cave in to the fear of man. We cannot fear being ostracized. We cannot abandon the message of Jesus Christ. Put it on Him. You're not making this up. Put it on Jesus. This is what Jesus says. It's not my doctrine. It's counterintuitive. I couldn't come up with this. It's the words of Jesus Himself. Trust in what He can do and what He does. But do not abandon the message. Do not depart from His words. These other thieves and robbers, they cannot bring salvation. Not even for themselves, let alone for others. Only Jesus Christ can bring salvation. And He does it through His death. Like He says in this text. Look at verse, verse 9. <clears throat> I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I mean, first of all, I love the fact that he is certain of what he's going to do. There is no ifs, ands, or, or buts with this story. He doesn't say they might be saved. They can be saved. There's a possibility of them being saved. It's probable that they will be saved. But what does he say? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There's a certainty, a divine certainty of the salvation of the sheep. 
Now, this is one of the, the, the famous, only one of the famous seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 10.9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 10.11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the, resurrec the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John 11.25 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14.6 Now in John 15.1, his last, his seventh I am statement. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. All of these I am statements, they echo the text of Exodus 3. When Moses is faced, he is, he is faced with God and, and with the humongous uh, uh, task, an impossible task, as he stands on holy ground, he's talking to God, and, he, and God is telling him, go free the Hebrews. Go back to Egypt and lead them out. Impossible task. Monumental task. And he says, but who should I say sent me? And God tells him, I am who I am. Tell them, Moses, I am has sent me. Who are you, God? Oh, my name, my personal name. I am. Jesus in the Gospel of John, He takes this personal, sacred, holy name of God and He applies it to Himself. As we get to know Jesus in this Gospel, His claims of deity, His claims of who He is, the Messiah, the Promised One, the Deliverer of Israel, the Shepherd, the Good Shepherd of the flock, they're getting louder and louder. They're getting more blunt, more explicit, more clear as we keep going. Now, whoever believes in Him, whoever enters by Him, by this door, will be saved. Can someone explain to me why in the world we've been, we've been avoiding the word saved? Why is it that the church doesn't talk about being saved anymore? Why is it that we don't say to people, you need to be saved? There's judgment coming. It's a good Bible word. Salvation is a good Bible word. Saved is a good Jesus word. Let's use Jesus' words. We must be saved. 
Saved from ourselves. Saved from our sin. Saved from the punishment of our sin. Saved from eternal condemnation. Saved from the lake of fire. Saved from the just wrath of God. Saved unto eternal joy in the presence of the living God. No one could accomplish such task. No one else but Jesus can accomplish such a great salvation. He is the shepherd of His sheep. He is the shepherd of the sheep. His death is a saving death. Verse 10, he keeps going with, with the contrast between the thief and the good shepherd. Incredibly different. Complete opposite. Complete opposite characters. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. One comes to kill, to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, in the previous verse, he tells us what he gives us. Abundant life. Right? Uh, now, in verse 12, he's gonna, in verse 11, he's going to tell us what he gives, not to us, but for us. I am the good shepherd. Now, Let's see why he is a good shepherd. Let's, let, let's keep reading. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He gave his life for us. It wasn't because of his sins. He didn't have any. It was for the sins of his sheep. He died for the sheep. The hammer of God did not crush him because he was a sinner. But God crushed him on that tree for the sins of the sheep. 1 Corinthians 15.3 Christ died for our sins. Galatians 1.3 and 4 The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins. Galatians 2.20 The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. In Mark 10.45, He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. He died in the place of His sheep for their benefit. His death was a substitutionary death. He died as a substitute. So his sheep wouldn't have to die. In him there's life and there's life abundant. In verse 12, he's going to keep talking about the same thief and robber and stranger. The one who has a strange voice is not talking about anybody different. But just in this verse, he uses another name. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. A hired hand is not a shepherd. Who does not own the sheep. A hired hand does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. It's the same person, the same false shepherds that are in it for their profit. They're not in it for the good of the sheep. They're not in it for what they can do for the sheep. They're not, they're not in, in it to provide and serve the sheep, to love the sheep, to heal the sheep, to feed the sheep. They're in it for their own gain. They're in it to fleece the sheep. When the wolf shows up, they're out of there. They're not about to risk their lives. They'll just go get some other sheep to fleece. They shepherd only when it's not raining. Only when there's food around. Only when there's something to be gained. Because they don't have any concern for the sheep. But oh, how different it is with the Lord Jesus and the care that He provides for His sheep. Very different. What he's doing, again, is contrasting false shepherds, robbers, thieves with him. The good shepherd. When we see the lack of care that these false shepherds have, the lack of concern, the lack of love that these false shepherds have for the sheep, I want you to see the total opposite in the character and actions of the Lord Jesus for the sheep. When you see how much the false shepherds do not love, oh, please see how much the Lord Jesus care for, cares for His sheep. See the depth of His care. See the lengths through which He is willing to go to protect His sheep. The wolf shows up, he's not backing down. When the wolf showed up 2,000 years ago trying to kill him and trying to attack the sheep of God, he did not back down. The wolf manipulated the people and caused the people to ask for the thief, to ask for, for Barabbas. The wolf caused people to lie. And falsely accused Jesus because they wanted to kill the shepherd so that the sheep would be scattered. That would be a blow to the Savior of the sheep, to the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus did not back down, but He faced Him even to the point of death. Death on a cross. And by His death, He triumphs over the wolf, over the accuser of the brethren. Jesus shut Him up forever because when the wolf, when Satan stands in the courts of heaven and he tries to accuse the sheep, when he tries to accuse the, the people of God, Romans 8 says, Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is Christ who died for them. 
The devil is silenced forever. If you are in Christ, I want you to know that the devil has absolutely nothing on you. He can accuse you until he's blue in the face. But who can bring any charge against God's sheep? It is the good shepherd who justifies them. There is no accusation. And He did this for us, for His sheep. Through His death, He triumphs. And He triumphs forever. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from His hands. The wolf will not Scatter the sheep because the shepherd is standing at that door and no thieves, no robbers, no wolves will come in because the good shepherd will see to it that they don't. If this doesn't make you feel secure in the hands of the good shepherd as his sheep, there's something seriously, seriously wrong happening. I beg you today to trust in the Lord Jesus as your shepherd. If this doesn't warm your heart and gives you that sense of security and care and and a new breath of life in you, oh, enjoy it. Be in His hand and enjoy your stay. Enjoy His care. Enjoy His love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Someone lays, that a good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. As if we didn't get it the first time, he keeps repeating it. Keep repeating it so you won't miss it. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now, this is a glorious verse. This shows that his saving death is also a specific death. I know my own, and my own know me. To know in the Bible, to know in this verse, means so much more than just an intellectual awareness of another being or things. It's not an intellectual knowledge. It's not just being aware that someone or somebody exists. It's so much more than that. It's To know, it's to love. It's the setting of one's affection upon another. It's a deep, intimate connection and relationship. Micah 5, 2, God, I mean 3, 2, God tells Israel, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. 
Let me ask you, was God aware of other families outside of Israel walking on the globe? Matthew one twenty five, Joseph, Mary's uh, husband. Joseph did not know her, Mary, until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph wasn't aware of Mary's existence. Didn't he have a cognitive knowledge of that she existed? He was betrothed to her. He was married to her. To know has to mean something different, deeper. I could go through a lot of passages. For the sake of time, I won't. But to know is to love and to set your affections deeply upon another. And that is what God has done to Israel. That is what God has done to His sheep. Now, someone might say, you know, you have your own theology. You know, you have certain convictions. You're cramming your theology in this verse to make it say what you believe. To make it affirm your theology. You're bringing all of these other verses from other books, other authors, other contexts. You're bringing all these verses to here so that it will just confirm your theology. Uh, I would say that that's a, that's a valid objection. That is, That could be a valid objection. And I am, and it, it is possible to use or misuse a verse or verses to prove a point when the verses you're using, they really don't speak to that issue. It is possible to sincerely or, or unsincerely, if there's such a word, to use verses to prove a point of which the verses aren't really talking about. And I am certainly not above such mistakes. However, in this case, my conviction of what to know means doesn't come from any other book, from any other author. It doesn't primarily come from any other verses, but it comes from the very next verse. Verse 15. I'm going to read them together so we can get the flow, okay? 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. How? Oh, how, Jesus? How is it that you know your own and they know you? Oh, just like the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, I'm not going to argue very long, but just to start arguing, to say that the, the eternal loving relationship in the Godhead, the Trinitarian relationship between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, to say that that relationship is merely a cognitive assent of each, other, each other's uh, existence, just an intellectual knowledge and awareness that, okay, the Father exists and, and the Son exists and the Holy Spirit exists, and they acknowledge each other's existence, it's just flat out unbiblical. Flat out unbiblical. The Father and the Son have known, have loved, have, have enjoyed each other's existence and have had this intimate, loving, affectionate, pure, holy relationship throughout history. Oh, wait a minute. Before history, eternity past, they have always 
known and loved each other and enjoyed each other. Deeply affectionate towards each other. Perfectly in holiness. Now, what blows my mind is that Jesus says that His relationship to His sheep is just like this one. It doesn't get any closer than that. It doesn't get any purer than that. It doesn't get any, any holier than that. That God Himself, the Son Himself, has always, throughout eternity, loved the sheep. There has never been a time when the Lord did not love His sheep. Never. God has never not loved the sheep. And then one day, He saw how cute they were and decided loving them and was attracted to them. And something changed. He is immutable. He never learned anything. He never had a, a thought that he didn't have before. Now, before I have a brain cramp, I'm going to stop this. But if you are in Christ, if you are shepherded by the Good Shepherd, there was never a time when God Himself was not, did not love you incredibly. And there was never a time when He had not decided to die for you. I mean, why do you fight Him? Why do you fight His grace? When you look at this eternal picture of His love for the sheep, and you compare it to the temptations you suffer you know, Wednesday morning or Thursday afternoon, I mean, it's not even in the same league. Why do you let those temptations attract you? You in Christ have the power of this, this passion that texts like this cause in your heart. To look at temptations and say, you know, uh, there might be some kind of crazy pleasure there, but Christ is better. Christ is much better than me. I belong to someone greater, to someone higher. And He gave His life for me and He provides for me. He's everything I need. When He says, He's going to say in a little bit, I have the power to give my life, the authority to give my life, and the authority to take it back again. His power lives, dwells in you. You have His Holy Spirit. You do not have to settle for, yeah, I guess this sin just haunts me. No. No. You don't have to. You can trust the Good Shepherd to walk you through to lead you to walk you through the paths of righteousness the bible says he does learn to be who you are leave behind what you have been whoever is in christ is a new creation everything is being made new 
everything, you do not have to walk in sin. The good shepherd is with you and he leads you and he protects you and he provides for you. He accomplished all that through his saving death, through his specific death. Now in verse 16, he will say how he did it. How much he loves us. If you are a non-Hebrew, this verse is talking about you. Someone asks you if you're in the Bible, you can, oh, I'm in the Bible. You can say, I am in the Bible, because you are. Verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold refers to Israel. He's talking to them, I'm not going to die only for Hebrew, Jewish, Israel sheep. But there are other sheep throughout the world that I will call and they will listen to me. They will hear my voice and they will come. Now, I want you to notice that even before they come, he's going to say, I must bring them and they will hear me, right? I must bring them. I must, they will. But he refers to them as sheep. Even before he brings them, even before he brings them in, they are already his sheep. There's no lack of certainty. He's not going to save 99 and lose one. None of his sheep will be lost. And there will be people out of Israel that will be saved. People that never called him my God. But then when He brings them in, He will be their God and they will be His people. We will hear His voice so that one day we'll be one flock from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Good Shepherd. And He accomplishes them through His death. One flock under one shepherd. The Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Himself. Verse 17, His death is also a sovereign death. 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because... I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. The Lord God loves the Good Shepherd because He's doing what He was told to do. The perfect relationship, submission in the Godhead is once again described in here. The Lord God, the Father, gives him a charge. This charge I have received from my Father, he will say. And he perfectly obeys and he dies for the sheep. And God the Father loves him. For this reason, the Father loves him. His death is a sovereign death. Everything, all circumstances, 
happen exactly how God said they would. Jesus Christ gave His life. It was not taken from Him. He chose the day He was going to die. He chose the manner in which He was going to die. He was crucified. He chose who was go- the type of people that would be crucified with Him. He chose who was going, the Romans, who was going to crucify Him. And who was going to betray Him. He was in sovereign control of every molecule in the universe when He died. And He had authority to give His life on Friday. But He also had the authority to take it up again on Sunday. And He did. And today He is alive. Today He is alive. He died, but He lives. And today He is the Good Shepherd. And He shepherds His people. Oh, He does. I mean, do you see that we are caught See how how grand, how great this is. We are caught in a story that is much, way bigger than ourselves. This is about the glory of God. Who am I to shake my fist upon the God of the universe who creates the universe, who exists eternally? Never had a second thought about anything. Who am I to shake my fists? Against Him. We are caught in a story, in a plot that is way bigger than ourselves. We can behold how great He is. How great our God is. And the appropriate response is to worship Him in the beauty of who He is. Today, if you have eyes to see how great He is and how great a salvation Jesus Christ has accomplished through His death for the sheep, worship Him. Oh, let your heart be warm with affections for Him. There is no other, oh God, only Thou art God from eternity to eternity. Only You are God. There is no other like Him. There is none other like Jesus Christ. The Good Shepherd died for the sheep and He did it because His Father told Him to. This is an eternal covenant. Like I said, way greater than ourselves, way before we even came into being on this earth. This is a covenant between Father and Son for the glory of God in the salvation of sinners' souls. This charge I have received from my Father. We end today seeing that this whole plan, this is all planned out in minuscule detail by the Father. And praise Jesus because He accomplished Such a great salvation, being submissive to the Father, obeying the plan of the Father, accomplishing the plan of the Father. 
And He left us. As part of what He had accomplished, what He has accomplished, He has left us His Holy Spirit to apply the plan of the Father, to apply such a great salvation that He has accomplished upon the orders of His Father. Are you His sheep? Have you heard His voice? Has He called you by name? Are you still wasting your time with thieves and, and robbers? Who only fleece you and take what you have to give, but don't care about you. I'm speaking of competing quote-unquote masters, competing treasures and values, things that rob you of your affections for Christ, things that cause you to not see Him. I'm talking about false doctrines that claim that Jesus Christ is not the only way. When you see this good shepherd, how, how can you not want to come to him? His thoughts are greater than any of our thoughts, and they are thoughts for your good and not for your harm. Jesus Christ today, once again, is saying, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who are tired and exhausted of carrying the the burden of your sin and idolatry and life in this world that can be described as a valley of, of tears. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. There is salvation only in Him. And it starts now. He came so that His sheep would have life and life abundant. I pray that His truth would penetrate your heart and cause you to worship Him and love Him more than you ever have before. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, pray. Father God, I thank you for sending your son, for giving this charge to him. I thank you that you have empowered him to obey and accomplish everything that we could not. I thank you for, because of him we see your glory and oh how safe we feel in him, in being under the care of the Good Shepherd. Thank you for shepherding us and feeding us and providing for us and binding us up and healing us and transforming us. I pray that you would be glorified in our midst as you guide us this week as we go about our business. I pray that you would be guiding us and that we would know that this is true. This is true and that we would treasure it with all of our hearts. I pray that in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.